Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen. Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media? Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Tracks, Trailing, and Signaling, Part 1 By Ernest Thompson Seaton, Chief Scout I wish I could go west and join the Indians so that I would have no lessons to learn, said an unhappy small boy who could discover no atom of sense or purpose in any one of the three R's. "'You never made a greater mistake,' said the scribe, "'for the young Indians have many hard lessons from their earliest day, hard lessons and hard punishments. With them the dread penalty of failure is go hungry till you win, and no harder task have they than their reading lesson.' Not twenty-six characters are there to be learned in this exercise, but one thousand, not clear straight print, are they, but dim, washed-out, crooked traces, not indoors on comfortable chairs with a patient teacher always near, but out in the forest, often alone and in every kind of weather, they slowly decipher the letters and read sentences of the oldest writing on earth a style so old that the hieroglyphs of Egypt, the cylinders of Nippur, and the drawings of the cavemen are as things of today in comparison, the one universal script, the tracks in the dust, mud, or snow. These are the inscriptions that every hunter must learn to read infallibly, and be they strong or faint, straight or crooked, simple or overwritten with many a puzzling diverse phrase, he must decipher and follow them swiftly, unerringly, if there is to be a successful ending to the hunt which provides his daily food. This is the reading lesson of the young Indians, and it is a style that will never become out of date. The naturalist also must acquire some measure of proficiency in the ancient art. Its usefulness is unending to the student of wild life. Without it he should know little of the people of the wood. There are still many wild animals. It is a remarkable fact that there are always more wild animals about than any but the expert has an idea of. For example, there are within 20 miles of New York City fully 50 different kinds, not counting birds, reptiles, or fishes, one quarter of which at least are abundant. Or more particularly within the limits of greater New York, there are at least a dozen species of wild beasts, half of which are quite common. Then how is it we never see any, is the first question of the incredulous. The answer is, long ago the beasts learned the dire lesson. Man is our worst enemy, shun him at any price. And the simplest way to do this is to come out only at night. Man is a daytime creature, he is blind in the soft half-light that most beasts prefer. 
While many animals have always limited their activity to the hours of twilight and gloom, there are not a few that moved about in daytime, but have given up that portion of their working day in order to avoid the arch-enemy. Thus they can flourish under our noses and eat at our tables without our knowledge or consent. They come and go at will, and the world knows nothing of them. Their presence might long go unsuspected, but for one thing, well known to the hunter, the trapper, and the naturalist, wherever the wild forefoot goes, it leaves behind a record of its visit, its name, the direction whence it came, the time, the thing it did or tried to do, with the time and the direction of departure. These it puts down in the ancient script. Each of these dotted lines called the trail is a wonderful unfinished record of the creature's life during the time it made the same, and it needs only the patient work of the naturalist to decipher that record and from it learn much about the animal that made it, without that animal ever having been seen. Savages are more skillful at it than civilized folk, because tracking is their serious lifelong pursuit, and they do not injure their eyes with books. Intelligence is important here as elsewhere, yet it is a remarkable fact that the lowest race of mankind, the Australian blacks, are reputed to be by far the best trackers. Not only are their eyes and attention developed and disciplined, but they have retained much of the scent power that civilized man has lost, and can follow a fresh track, partly at least, by smell. It is hard to overvalue the powers of the clever tracker. To him the trail of each animal is not a mere series of similar footprints. It is an accurate account of the creature's life, habit, changing whims and emotions during the portion of life whose record is in view. These are indeed autobiographical chapters, and differ from other autobiographies in this. They cannot tell a lie. We may get wrong information from them, but it is our fault if we do. We misread the document that cannot falsify. When to learn tracking. The ideal time for tracking, and almost the only time for most folk, is when the ground is white. After the first snow, the student walks forth and begins at once to realize the wonders of the trail. A score of creatures, of whose existence maybe he did not know, are now revealed about him, and the reading of their autographs becomes easy. It is when the snow is on the ground, indeed, that we take our forefoot senses of the woods. How often we learn with surprise from the tell-tale white that a fox was around our hen-house last night, a mink is living even now under the woodpile, and a deer, yes, there is no mistaking its sharp-pointed, unsheep-like footprint, has wandered into our woods from the farther wilds. Never lose the chance of the first snow if you wish to become a trailer. Nevertheless, remember that the first morning after a night's snowfall is not so good as a second. Most creatures lie up during the storm. The snow hides the tracks of those that do go forth, and some actually go into a cold sleep for a day or two after a heavy downfall. But a calm, mild night following a storm is sure to offer abundant and ideal opportunity for beginning the study of the trail. How to Learn here are some of the important facts to keep in view when you set forth to master the rudiments. First, no two animals leave the same trail, not only each kind, but each individual, 
and each individual, at each stage of its life, leaves a trail as distinctive as the creature's appearance, and it is obvious that in that they differ among themselves just as we do, because the young know their mothers, the mothers know their young, and the old ones know their mates, when scent is clearly out of the question. Another simple evidence of this is the well-known fact that no two human beings have the same thumb mark. All living creatures have corresponding peculiarities, and all use these parts in making the trail. Second. The trail was begun at the birthplace of that creature and ends only at its death-place. It may be recorded in visible track or perceptible odor. It may last but a few hours and may be too faint even for an expert with present equipment to follow, but evidently the trail is made wherever the creature journeys afoot. Third, it varies with every important change of impulse, action, or emotion. Fourth, when we find a trail, we may rest assured that, if living, the creature that made it is at the other end, and if one can follow, it is only a question of time before coming up with that animal and be sure of its direction before setting out, many a novice has lost much time by going backward on the trail. Fifth. In studying trails, one must always keep probabilities in mind. Sometimes one kind of track looks much like another. Then the question is, which is the likeliest in this place? If I saw a jaguar track in India, I should know it was made by a leopard. If I found a leopard in Colorado... I should be sure I had found the mark of a cougar or mountain lion. A wolf track on Broadway would doubtless be the doing of a very large dog, and a St. Bernard's footmark in the Rockies, twenty miles from anywhere, would most likely turn out to be the happen-so imprint of a grey wolf's foot. To be sure of the marks done, one should know all the animals that belong to the neighborhood. These facts are well known to every hunter. Most savages are hunters, and one of the early lessons of the Indian boy is to know the tracks of the different beasts about him. These are the letters of the old, old writing. A first try. Let us go forth into the woods in one of the northeastern states, when there is a good tracking snow, and learn a few of these letters of the wood alphabet. Two at least are sure to be seen, the track of the Blarina and of the deer mouse. They are shown on the same scale in figures 1 and 2, page 198. In figure 3 is the track of the meadow mouse. It is not unlike that of the blurina, because it walks, being a ground animal, while the deer mouse more often bounds. The delicate lace traceries of the masked shrew, shown in figure 4, are almost invisible unless the sun be low. They are difficult to draw and impossible to photograph or cast satisfactorily, but the sketch gives enough to recognize them by. The meadow mouse belongs to the rank grass in the lowland near the brook, and passing it toward the open running water, we may see the curious track of the muskrat, its five-toed hindfoot, its four-toed frontfoot, and its long-keeled tail are plainly on record. When he goes slowly, the tail mark is nearly straight. When he goes fast, it is wavy in proportion to his pace. Page 193. The muskrat is a valiant beast. He never dies without fighting to the last, but he is in dread of another Brooklyn creature whose tail is here, the mink. 
individual tracks of this animal are shown in number 1, page 161. Here he was bounding, the forefeet are together, the hindfeet track ahead, and tail mark shows, and but four toes in each track, though the creature has five on each foot. He is a dreaded enemy of poor Molly Cottontail, and more than once I have seen the records of his relentless pursuit. One of these fits in admirably as an illustration of our present study. A Story of the Trail It was the winter of 1900. I was standing with my brother, a businessman, on Goat Island, Niagara, when he remarked, How is it? You and I have been in the same parts of America for twenty years, yet I never see any of the curious sides of animal life that you are continually coming across. Largely because you do not study tracks, was the reply. Look at your feet now. There is a whole history to be read. I see some marks, he replied, that might have been made by some animal. That is the track of a cottontail, was the answer. Now let us read the chapter of his life. See, he went in a general straight course, as though making some well-known haunt. His easy pace, with eight or ten inches between each set of tracks, show an alarm. But see here, joining on is something else. So there is another cottontail. Not at all. This new track is smaller. The forefeet are more or less paired, showing that the creature can climb a tree. There is a suggestion of toe pads, and there is a mark telling evidently of a long tail. These things combined with the size and the place identified clearly. This is the trail of a mink. See, he has also found the rabbit track, and finding it fresh he followed it. His bounds are lengthened now, but the rabbits are not, showing that the latter was unconscious of the pursuit. After one hundred yards the double trail led us to a great pile of wood, and into this both went. Having followed his game into dense cover, the trailer's first business was to make sure that it did not go out on the other side. We went carefully around the pile. There were no tracks leading out. Now, I said, if you will take the trouble to move that woodpile, you will find in it the remains of the rabbit half-devoured and the mink himself. At this moment he is no doubt curled up asleep. As the pile was large and the conclusion more or less self-evident, my brother was content to accept my reading of the episode. End of section 25. Amplify your career through training and development solutions specifically designed for federal government professionals. From courses to help you attain or retain certification, to individualized coaching services, to programs that hone your leadership skills and business acumen, Management Concepts optimizes your professional development. Online, in person, individually, or groups. It's training that's measurably better. Learn more at managementconcepts.com. That's managementconcepts.com. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. ChumbaCasino.com has over a hundred casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Forward, prohibited by law. Eighteen plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.